CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, my golfing friends, and welcome to 2023, the very first off course of the year. And as always, I am your host, Dan Edwards. Joining me, I thought it was appropriate to get the man, the myth, the big time hugger, Josh Babbitt, JB, on the show. First one for the new year. How are you, my friend? I'm good, but everybody else gets these amazing intros, and I get one that's laughable. Like, I'm a little offended by that. Uh, the only reason why I brought this up is as I was getting ready for the show, I'm, I'm browsing the forum, and I up, end up on another post of someone talking about, hey, I played in like two hours. I'd probably would get a, a hug from JB if he was there. <laughs> and yeah, of course, he wouldn't. <laughs> of course, your response, like, please don't touch me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, listen, it's not about him. He's actually a really nice guy. He was in the granddaddy this year. It is about that he just finished a round of golf and ooh. <laughs> so that's your threshold is everyone can hug you just as long as it's not after a round of golf. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, that should be a New Year's resolution for you. I have friendly. a lot of New Year's resolutions. Actually. Do <laughs> well, you have any? Yeah, and let's let's kick it off with that because... In your case, you're back in Florida now, so golf isn't dead to you the way it is for me currently. We actually caught the uh, email from the golf course earlier in the week saying like, hey, we get that it's 50, but it was also like minus 20 last week. So if you step on our golf course today, you're going to destroy it. So please be patient. So we're definitely um, not golfing right now. So it gives me plenty of time to dwell on what I didn't accomplish in 2022 from a personal perspective. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, resolution-wise, I really put a lot of thought into it. I was busy uh, with family watching OSU lose at the buzzer uh, with with the unfortunate kick there. So I, I think uh, on the spot here, I would imagine the first thing I want to do is I want to get my my long game back. My driver has been a problem, um, even though my irons and wedges and putter have actually been really good all year. The driver just kind of it's kind of gone. So I don't think I'm going to allow another year to go by where I can't just lean on it every time I want to, you know. So I think yeah. that's that's probably one A for me on a golf perspective. You know, I, I'm a person who's listened to every single episode, uh, you know, proudly of off course. And uh, I'm not saying that because I'm on it, but I do. <laughs> it's in my rotation and it downloads, obviously. But I followed the journey with your driver and then we got a chance to play a little bit ago at Ballyhack. Yeah. And we talked about that. Like, does it creep into other clubs and so on and so forth? And, um, you know, I've played with you for a number of years now, although not often, uh, at least not often enough, where you were a great driver of the golf ball, probably the best part of your game, to now you don't like it as much. And I'm going to take you back, and I'm going to take our audience back to we had a guest, you had a guest on here by the name of Colt Ford, who's a famous country musician. And this was filmed in our tech studio um, with the simulator kind of right beat right in front of you. Um, we probably should have done that one on video. And uh, he, after the show ended, he kind of walked you through. And I watched you hit like three straight drives dead perfect. Yeah. And I kind of wish we saved that video. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know what I've been doing for half the years? Like I go back to the old range days we did with drivers. Uh, the first year range, and I watch it. I'm like, 
what is so different? And then I go out and, and, and watch my swing. And it is a bit longer. Uh, I think my rotations kind of shut down a little bit. But the other thing is I just don't maintain the same angle. And um, I think the part of the problem is you get on the course and you try and fix it. And you, you're trying to do all these different things. And by the time you've done that for 10 rounds, then the 11th round, you're like, all right, which weird thing I'm going to try this time <laughs> to see if I can fix it. And you just need consistency. And I think the only place to get that is probably the driving range with some decent instruction. Yeah, you, you might be right about that. My journey is a little different than yours and my resolutions are a little different, but as you know, um, from our time together and working together and playing together that at one time I could make my way around the golf course. Um, I think my lowest handicap was a 0.9, but generally speaking, I was around that five or six mark. Um, uh, I'm not anymore. And for a while, when I was in Tennessee, I related that score and the handicap rise to playing a course that was rated improperly. It was rated as an easy course, but the changes they made, it wasn't re-rated. So when I was going out and shooting some tougher scores due to deep rough and everything else, I was just like, oh, well, you know, when I travel, it's going to be better. Well, it's not. And it got to the point where um, I had played Ballyhack uh, a couple times ago and shot really well there. And then the time when you and I were there, what I didn't tell you was something that I mentioned on the Worst, Worst Golf podcast last week is the one of the professionals there came up to me and said, uh, are you injured? And I said, no. Not really. I mean, I'm always a little injured. He's like, oh, uh, okay. And I walked away and then I walked back. And I was like, what? What are you asking? And he said, well, the swing just seems like somebody who's injured. You know, and I, in my head, that immediately went to, oh, I'm an animal that's been caught in a trap and it's time to put it on the pasture. <laughs> um, but that was the sign that I needed to change things because the game has gotten really bad to where you're standing on the tee box and you don't know where it's going. And I've maintained a handicap that's, I guess, relatable because it's still single digit, but borderline. But that's only because I can make my way around the course a little bit. It's not because of the game is not it, the game's in a bad spot. So I have two thoughts from that. Number one, you have a fairly uncommon setup off the tee. You, your back foot stays pretty well behind. And I think it helps you uh, deal with the style of swing you've gone with over the last couple of years. Um, so maybe that was part of it. I'm, I'm trying to like soften the blow of his damaging commentary, <laughs> but I, I think not. The, the, well, you know, if someone comes to me right now and says my driver game sucks, I'm like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> it's not hard to figure that one out. Um, but the, the one thing I've always noticed with you, and it was way more prevalent when we first started playing a decade ago was that you were always super dangerous around the greens and that has definitely fallen away a bit. It's not as scary. That, you know, you, that's the nice Canadian Dan way of saying it's hot garbage. Well, again, I, I want to celebrate what you were, not so much what you've become. Okay. <laughs> it's so, so bad that I'm standing by the green and I used to know just about from anywhere I would feel I could get up and down. Yeah. And, and now I'm thinking to myself every time I miss a green, like, Oh God, I hope I hit the green on the next one. It's that it's that spot. It it's just un unusual. And 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 I get that you've changed locations a couple of times. You've changed you, you play in a lot of different style courses and certainly the 
the consistency is not really there to say and, and i've always had a hard time with that if i go play a different course a different style of grass a different uh firmness to the greens like it's a very hard thing to adapt to that on the fly unless you do it every week all year long um so i'm not sure if that played a role but you're playing as much if not more than you have in a long time right yeah well i'm playing in all the experiences um uh generally speaking this coming year and i did for a bunch of them last year because as we host our experiences at private facilities they need to have a member at you know their disposal to to deal with so yes from that aspect the problem is and you know when you get to that point in the rut where you're like oh i'm a effing failure like that point yeah um i realized something last week after talking to said pro who asked if I was caught in a bear trap. And that was, I got worse sitting at a desk with a simulator eight feet away from my desk chair. And there's literally no excuse in the world to that. I have access to professionals. I, you know, like all these things to work on the game. And I, I literally just went straight down. Well, up in the handicap spot. So I made it a point this year that I'm going to, rebuild this completely but i'm going to do it in a way and i'm going to and i'm going to journey this on the thp form for those that are members there they're going to get to see it um and there's obviously no place to hide i have to go play and have to and finger i'm doing finger quotes on a podcast which is a little weird but um i'm going to do it on the fly in a way that i think a lot of golfers get scared to do and that is i'm going to go through an entire swing change but i'm not going to have time to go to the range every day and grind for an hour so I'm going to be getting these lessons and putting them into play to the best of my ability on the fly. And will it work? I have no idea. But it can't be as bad as it's been lately. I went out. Um, my last round was at the Dormy Club. And obviously not a real easy place to play. But I usually try to be around 40 on each nine there. I think that's respectable. It, it's my handicap number and everything else. And my front nine, I shot 42 and I felt pretty good. Uh, you know, I was hitting the ball pretty well. I missed a couple of putts that maybe I should have made. And on the back nine, I shot 57. And if you would have told me the score was 77, I would have believed you. I, I missed every fairway, every green. Um, most of the time missed the green on the next shot as well. So I decided it was time and I wanted to enjoy the game a little more. And it's not because I don't enjoy the game playing poorly because I do. It's, I want the game to be more than just a social element to me because that's always been my favorite part of golf is I, I, I always classify it as the fun, serious, social competitor, those four things in golf. And I've always been the social serious. So I want it to be all about social and having a good time out on the course, but I do take the game a little seriously. Um, not with the rules or I don't care what anybody else does. Just like I, I log all my scores. I do all these things. So I, I want to get back to where those two things matter the most. Yeah. Um, that was a really long-winded way of answering your question, and I'm not even sure I answered it. That's heavy. Well, no, I, I think it puts a blanket on uh, a year-long goal, and and anyone who is pursuing improvement in the game that isn't as simple as, okay, I want to fix this little hitch or this little whatever. You know, If you're trying to create a complete improvement on the overall experience, I mean, that's not something you just navigate through easily in conversation, right? Like, Time yeah. needs to go into it, uh, change, adjustments, um, and then mentality. And none of those are going to happen. And mentality is a big thing, too, because I think 
you made note, you know, I shot 42 on the front and then it was a disaster on the back. There's nothing more challenging than getting out there and making one mistake because then your next shot with the same club or a similar club, you're going to attempt to fix something that wasn't broken until your last swing. And then you, you autocorrect, you, you're overcorrect. So you, now you're going the other way. And then your third shot is like, I hope there's alcohol after this because my brain is already fried and we're on the 12th. <laughs> yeah. Box. And you know, I, this, this was a funny thing too, because <clears throat> during the next round, we did a shamble, you know, because after the, 79 score I put up on the back nine. They're like, no, we can't play with you anymore. So let's do a shamble. And I was playing somebody else's tee ball who happened to be a pretty good driver of the golf ball. They weren't crazy long, but they kept it in the fairway and things like that. And I don't think it was better. Like I, there were a couple times where they hit the fairway in the middle and I'm just like, okay, I'm not even gonna swing. Like it's gotten to that point where oh. You just you just don't know where it's going, and you try, as you just said, try to diagnose like what's doing it. So I've always been my two big things, along with every other flaw in the swing, but my two big ones were steep and over the top. So if I can challenge myself to swing down the first baseline, I can kind of tame the over the top a little bit to keep a straight ball, even though it's a little spinny from being steep. And my next tee shot was so far over the top, I could have hit a tree 90 degrees to our left. That's how bad it went left. Yeah. Um, the last time we played, you hit four great drives in a row hitting to first. And then the, the next one was on this crazy elevated par four at Ballyhack, where the left side was the previous hole, which is like way down a hill and way left. And then you have to kind of hit straight to get onto this. And you hit like left of third base. Oh, yeah. Think, thinking you hit the same swing you had in the last four that were quite good. No, you could you not. could see the the mental game. Uh, I don't think it was. I'm gonna go see if I can find that ball. It was. I'm gonna go see if I can find my soul between now and the next tee box, which fortunately was a par three. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I I hope others are listening to this with a not a woe is me thing because yeah. you know at the end of it, I get to play some pretty amazing golf courses with awesome people and meet forum members and do that with new equipment every time, things like that. It's definitely not. It's a, uh, I have a passion for the game that I think anybody listening to this podcast probably does as well. And I don't care what skill level somebody is to have that, but with the move back to Florida due to some, you know, ailing family members and things like that, everything starts to get away from you. And then you get into that time of year where your business is really busy and these are all excuses and they're real excuses, but they're still excuses. Um, I, I just went through one the other day where somebody said, Hey, do you want to go play golf but tomorrow morning at seven? And I definitely could have fit it in my schedule as I throw something on the desk for those listening. Um, <laughs> but instead I made an excuse of, no, I'm not going to, because I'm working on this grip that he sent me to do. So like, I got to get it over my mentality of, woe is me and back into man i'm so excited to be at the golf course again well i mean <clears throat> you're in the right place for that do you, do you have a place locally that you would generally go to practice yeah there's okay. a, a a pretty nice course here I, we don't have a membership at a country club yet um because of our membership with the dormy network uh, i know people have asked if there's some sort of partnership there between us no we're just members and we're excited to be able to take guests there because it's pretty awesome so one of the things I want to just throw in there is we have a staff writer 
going through an interesting series right now. And, and maybe you can plug that a little bit. Ryan Hawk uh, is doing some great stuff and it has to do with not just practicing golf, but playing golf in the what, crappier months of the year. Maybe not, maybe it doesn't apply to you, but it definitely applies to me. So can you, can you break that down just a little bit for him so we can. Yeah. So we had um, an idea of, getting better using technology, whether that's an indoor fitting bay, a hitting bay, whether that's online instruction, whether it's anything else, but it was more than that because I've always said the idea of getting better sounds amazing, but (laughs) the execution is not always as fun as it sounds, you know, whether it's a grind, whether it's, I always say, I'm going to go get lessons and then I'll go get a couple lessons and I'll work on what I had for a day or two. And then, Oh, look, work gets in the way and you move on. So this was about, Getting to a place, the, the general idea of it was getting to a place where if you can't go practice every day, you can pick up a club and feel comfortable with yourself to be playing whenever you get a chance. And uh, Ryan Hawk has done a tremendous job of it, but he just did one that was published on Monday of this week about you know online lessons and virtual lessons. And I think that that's something people sh- can consider and should consider um, along with the whole you know, going to see a pro locally if you have that option. But I'm going to ask you a question about that because it's something we talked about on uh, the Worst Golf Podcast, but it was involving a a barber. And I've brought it up on the forum. You belong to a country club, and I did too previously. Mm -hmm. If you got a lesson from one of the pros at your club and you didn't like the way it went, can you fire them? (laughs) <laughs> well knowing okay. that you're going to go check in and see them every time you tee off and they're going to be like oh how's the game going you know that kind of thing yeah it, it, you make an interesting opportunity here for me to not really rant but talk about the overall landscape because i've been desperate for maybe not so much um lessons but more like a swing coach of sorts you know someone who is willing to give me a half hour of time to talk through some stuff. And the last lesson I had that was at my course, I spent more time explaining what I felt was wrong with my swing than they did. Um, so I basically paid um, 50 bucks for a half hour to, t- to have someone. Did, was there a couch involved where it was like therapy where they said, How yeah, that actually feel? that might've been better. Um, but, but the long and short of it is that I think I understand enough about the swing that uh, I need something more than just a casual lesson that, that, sort of breaks it down in, in that way uh, and maybe that's just who I am but we actually have had some changes this year where at least one or two new people will be coming in and and I'm going to give them both a shot um, or whomever comes in they get a shot at because I would love someone to support my swing that would be incredible um, so I guess I'm happy to, to do it if you're asking yeah yeah I bet you are yeah <laughs> it, it's not gonna be helpful but I know you're no. Good. yeah no um so yeah, I think, I I think it has the potential to be awkward. But the person who left knew that I didn't want him working on my swing, uh, and the other one is still there, and, and there's an understanding that it, it it wasn't really discussed. So I think the idea was, I think the only time that would be really be a problem if I got like a lesson package and like the first lesson came and went, and I was like, no, that it's not what I had in mind. So maybe the comment that I would have is are you really shopping? Are you, are you spending enough time getting to know who is going to work with you? Because I don't think you just buy a lesson plan willy nilly. You, you need to meet them, understand what their structure is like, whether their coaching techniques will 
improve you or or mesh with the, your mental state when it comes to resolution in a golf swing because it's it's a taxing emotional thing isn't it i think so let me ask you a question because yeah. we've gone through similar plights at different skill levels yeah do you find golf still as enjoyable as it did with where you are now yeah i do um so up until recently to... i did too I, I think the point is you have to have something that works because you have to have something oh, to be happy yeah, about. I, I, right? I don't have that. So, I mean, I've always been a, a decent putter. I'm learning to get better on alternative grasses. And uh, the last time we played, I dropped a few pretty, pretty long putts. that was extremely rewarding and uh, some wedge shots that went fairly close. Like if that part of my game was also a problem, I think I would not be having as much fun. The idea that, I put you know three utility irons in the bag last year to put a Band-Aid on the driver issue and the long swing issue is sort of representative because I can still get around the course and shoot close-ish to par depending on the day. Uh, it's just not as fun. I, I like the idea of going out there and just being automatic, of course. Um, oh, yeah, you poor thing. Yeah, because that allows me to enjoy the other aspects of the game like friendship and, and, and cheering on other people or you know just that kind of kind of thing so i think i yeah. lost a little bit of that because i got a bit wrapped up a couple times in my own head but um no i i think golf still provided me with what i was looking for i think okay i i was curious because up until recently it did for me too i didn't care mm-hmm. that the game was going downhill and then the last few rounds i can't address what was different because i'm playing with the same people i have before and enjoyed myself but you know even being bad at golf there was always a a, a general understanding of what was going on, where the ball was going, so on and so forth. If you play a, if you play a fade, you know where the fade, if you play a, yeah. you might bang a couple of those out of bounds every couple of rounds or a few times around, that's fine. But standing on the tee box and having no idea where the ball is going is uh, not as fun. Yeah. I mean, we all have expectations, but you know, realistically, if you are sub 10, you should have a fairly decent idea of what to expect. Most of the time, we all have bad shots, but I, I would and imagine I'll that's relate the problem this back for you. To a rant you yeah. had earlier, uh, maybe it was last year. Well, obviously, it wasn't twenty twenty three. Um, about the handicap system. I mean, yeah. I've put in seven or eight really bad rounds in a row. You know, generally speaking, versus my handicap, and it hasn't budged. Like it hasn't really? moved well, at all. It's going to. <laughs> oh, it <laughs> if will. You, if you keep playing. But then you're going to yeah, get soft cap like I did. And then the question is, all right, what am I going to do to fix this? Or am I just going to enjoy uh, having what, what I like to call a Johnny Rod handicap? <laughs> I get that. Um, uh, you know, not to interrupt our wonderful conversation of flaws, but when this drops, there will be some big equipment releases yeah. that have just taken place. So if people are wondering about those, we're recording them before embargo, even though we have the equipment in our hands, um, you're going to want to check out the website and the forum. Dan will fill you in on that. There'll be links below, but there's a lot of really good conversation about it. Yeah, it's probably a good time to move into the next bit of discussion we had planned, which was that I will have come and gone (laughs) at the Paradigm launch event in California, Callaway, new drivers, new products overall and it sounds like they have a really cool experience ready for us to to go and digest some of the new equipment you're not joining me but james uh staff writer is and i believe morgan is as well golfer gal 
Correct. So yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. I I I don't really know what to expect because I haven't looked at the new product all that in much depth yet. Um, but it sounds like people who are talking about it are extremely excited. So I, you know, being that this show comes out after the release, it's kind of still weird for me to talk about it before embargo, even though you know that is the embargo. Mm -hmm. Um, to me, this is one of those releases by them speaking specifically of Callaway with the driver that is more revolutionary than evolutionary. It's a completely different design in every aspect. Um, there are other brands that are going to be coming out soon after this, not speaking of driver that I think are really strong plays in the iron world and the wedge world and things like that, that I'm excited to have rolling. This is the best equipment release year, top to bottom that I've had in 15 years of doing this. Really? Yeah. And, it, and it's not close. And I say that with all sincerity. Um, I've gone through all the, the media launches, uh, the sitting down one-on-ones with product teams, watched vidcasts, what everything you could imagine to digest and understand this stuff. And top to bottom, brand to brand, it is the strongest I've ever seen. And, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. You know, I like... Um... I, I like that we've seen some of it already and we can actually talk about it a little bit. Like uh Titleist has a couple driver heads out right now that have really impressed THPers done uh, an event with them. Uh, I was able to hit them for myself. And even with my trash can of a swing, I was pushing 170 ball speed, which is great. Um, and then we've sat in some calls and seen some new heads that, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a different take for them. And in, in a very positive move forward, I think, overall, based on what we've seen in the past. So I, I think every year we end up with this conversation on the forum, Josh, and it's, is this the year of what, right? <laughs> and, and, and it's really an interesting question yeah. because in years past, I think a lot of people get tied into it's the year of the irons, it's the year of the driver. Yeah. And it really depends on who's releasing what. But Man, I'm looking over these release lists because I have a little tab next to me on the right-hand side. I'm once again doing uh, hand signs that people will not see um, on the right side of my screen. And, and I'm just like, Cobra's absolutely bringing it this year. Callaway's bringing it. Srixon's bringing it. Mizuno's bringing it. You know, the list is long. And there's a couple of brands that are a little, um, I'll, I'll say questionable with some decisions. But I think they're still going to be fairly strong. Um, and then there's some brands that are just downright puzzling. But I do think that overall, <clears throat> top to bottom, there is something for absolutely everybody. And it's as good a release season as I've ever seen. <clears throat> Puzzling doesn't rhyme with Wilson, does it? <laughs> In this case, it might. <laughs> um, so there are also a couple of companies where you know what to expect from a release cycle perspective. Uh, and just based on the last iteration of that product, it's like, I've been excited about hitting those iron or those uh, products or irons or drivers or whatever it might be. I can't wait to see what that next version of it is because they really just needed one, two or three things to be the perfect setup for many, many golfers. Right. Yeah, I think so. And I'm going to throw something back to you because one of the things that we've as golfers, <coughs> excuse my, this cough, it's still lingering we've come to accept or I should say want to accept are these release cycles that are, I know every two years Titleist is releasing their new irons. And I know every two years that Callaway has this, 
Well, this year coming in, everybody said, oh, it's an Epic and Apex year. How exciting. And guess what? There's no Epic or Apex. They just launched Paradigm. So I think that in some ways, I love the curveball. I'm a huge fan of it. And I also, you know my feeling on alphanumeric versus actual names. I want to go back to the day when names mattered and the killer whale and the howitzer and the judge and all these awesome companies, you know, metalwood design names were amazing and out. But I like the curveball aspect. And I think people get a little too stuck in their laurels that every January, it's going to be a rehash of this. And we're going to see a bunch of sequels. And I think this year we have one sequel and that's stealth too. Um, I guess you could say ping 430 is a little bit of a sequel, but it's pretty different with one of the heads having a carbon fiber crown. So um I think that overall, it's one of those years where there's going to be a lot of hitting bay discussions of, I went to the bay, I tried these four drivers, here's what I thought, and that's exciting. Yeah, I like that a lot. And and it's always interesting because you have those folks who have been deeply invested in a product, or uh, should I say a company, uh, year over year, and they get to a brand new cycle with brand new heads, and suddenly they their homership is getting aggressively challenged because they hit one thing superior to the others, or maybe their new, their new favorite isn't the same one because of sound, which is a big deal for me. I, I typically would lean towards a more sensible sound than something. Wow. 425 ish <laughs> pingy uh, loud. Uh, and I took a ton of heat the last time they released something that was volumized, if you will, but, but so did a lot of companies. It, it's interesting to me to see, the way they bounce around with that as well. So do you have um, early perspectives on the hottest driver of the year? Yes. You're going to share it or no? Uh, I think Paradigm will be the number one driver this year. Really? Um, it- if we're going model to model, yeah, I do. I, I think it's, I think TSR from Titleist is pretty strong. And I think Ping has uh, a head coming. I want to say embargoes next week, but everybody in the world has seen the 430 if they're following this show. Um, they'll do pretty well. I, I Overall, this is a really good year. I mean, Cobra Aerojet, to give you an idea, so you're a guy who played the King F9 driver from Cobra. Loved it, yeah. Was, to a lot of people, was a game-changing design. It was the first that had that kind of back end, for lack of a better word, that was very different than your classic shapes. And then we saw that move into Stealth and some others, uh, or TaylorMade and some others, I should say. Um, this driver from Cobra is as revolutionary as that one is, according to them. Um, I've taken a handful of swings total with it, so I have no comment, and nor can I talk pre-release. But um, this is that's a driver that's going to make some waves if people give it a chance. And I, I always say you should give as many products a chance as you can. But if we're going model for model and you're asking me who's going to win, it's the paradigm from Callaway. I have a question that might be hard to answer, but I'd love to see if I can get you going on it. Is there a company who has the most to prove and the least to prove this year? Oh. Um, it depends what you mean by prove. If you mean sales or performance or something else. Absolutely nothing to do with sales. Uh, least to prove, Kirkland from Costco. <laughs> and I say that with absolute sincerity, and here's why. <laughs> um, people will always defend the Kirkland brand. We know that. Uh, you know, okay. Costco's a great place. I, hot dog and a drink for a dollar fifty. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. That's amazing. Um, hot dog, a drink, and a new set of irons for four hundred and three dollars. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> the flip side of that is they have actually created their clubs. We're talking actual design. It's through Indie Golf. Um, Rob there has been a friend for a long time. There's, they're creating their clubs. It, they have more creation in there than a lot of the direct-to-consumer brands out there that all look the same with different milling patterns. Um, they might rhyme with New Level um, or Sub-70 or things like that. There's actual design going on here. Um, and I think that there's a us versus them mentality when people get it. Like, you know, if you get a Kirkland glove or ball, oh, it's just as good as the other ones. That, there's that mentality there on a grander scale than component companies always were, you know, the, the, the malty heads of the world. Um, but if we're talking about regular mainstream I think there's it's separated by categories. I think Cobra definitely with the with the Metalwoods. There's a we have a lot to prove and we're going to flex our muscles a bit. I think Mizuno has a little bit more to prove. Their growth in their long game, you know, Metalwoods hybrids and things has been extraordinary, and I think that needs to continue. Um, I don't know that you know this was a really interesting year for golf equipment where we saw a carbon fiber face come out of the the I guess the race and take over the landscape because it's new, it's fresh, it's different. And then uh, three quarters of the way through the year when fitting numbers starting to come in and things like that, it was not number one. Um, and it w- teetered back and forth with, with uh, rogue ST for much of the year. So, uh, you know, I think that generally speaking, sequels don't sell as well as firsts. And I think that's why some companies choose names versus the number two, but Overall, I, I think with sequels, sometimes you get lazy messaging too, which is like, oh, it's, it's 10 yards further or just it's the same head, but with more MOI, you know, those kind of things. So I, I look towards TaylorMade for that to see what they bring to that table. But overall, I think the number one company, when you look across the board that has something to prove, it's Ping because they went from the 400, which is arguably their best product they've ever released and 410 and 425 were not nearly as good or sold as well. So I think they have the biggest thing to prove. Hmm. Um, when you when you compartmentalize that or categorize it a little bit more, I, I look at one of the comments you made, it was Mizuna having a fair bit to prove with their Metalwoods. And I, I find that example really interesting because they are such a staple in the iron game. You have the massive expectations of their irons, especially their pros to be like upper echelon in quality sound and output. Right. And then they have the, what, what is now the JPX line that for a while was sort of embarrassing. And then it turned into this revolutionary style product that ended up in a lot of bags, even the folks that were totally invested in the, the, the pro series, right? Like, you know, credit to that one dude who ended up world number one, I think, or uh, won a bunch of majors uh, for playing it out of, without even being a, a staffer. Mm-hmm. But then you have the Metalwoods, and, and I remember years ago, they were making blue heads that no one was talking about, and I absolutely adored them. And they, and and they the, sounded good, they performed well, everything yeah, else, but they weren't at that but, limit. They, You know, you yeah. go into a bay, and I don't mean to cut you off, that person who goes into the bay, they're not putting in the testing that you are, or that I am, that we're sitting there with all the heads and hitting them. You go into a bay, maybe three drivers. Maybe you might be a person who takes four. You're hitting them. They weren't as long, normally speaking. Now, 
They have been for a number of years now. <clears throat> and with some proper messaging to understand the difference between X, Z, G, you know, the different models they've had over the years, I think they could really do something well because the heads are really good looking. Yeah. And, and I think that's carried for a couple of years now. I remember when they first released uh, the Z and the X and then eventually the G, like those were two really strong cycles that just didn't get enough love. And at this point, there was a reason why I didn't want to include from a cost perspective or a, a sale perspective, because that seriously diminishes what they brought to the table. Um, and but but then you circle back to comparing it to the absolute consistency that they've seen in their iron game over the course of the last however many decades. And it's like, yeah, how, how do you get funny. that metal wood to this iron level? It is funny. They're doing things in a really unique way. And I've enjoyed following that, that brand overall because nothing is more thought of precision wise than let's say a set of Mizuno irons um, and feel and all those things. And then for some reason you get to metal woods and it's like, Oh no, next, next brand. But I'll take it a step further. And I, and I talked about this on the worst golf podcast a number of episodes ago. Think about wedges. You talk about the thing that you want precision, you want feel, you want touch, and you want everything else. And nobody even talks about Mizuno wedges. And they literally are the iron counterpart. And wedges are irons. Yeah. Well, they, they went, again, through a couple lean years. It was, like, really spoony and the big old shape. Like, it, it to me, it didn't make... term? Yeah, it is now. Uh, it, it just didn't... It didn't transition well from me going from a pro iron into their wedges, I just didn't feel like it adapted really well. And then you have T22 comes out and looks spectacular, right? We had a great time hitting those. And um, I just didn't see the wave that I expected. So, you know, maybe it's just a matter of consistency overall. And then you, you eventually convince your buyers or whomever it is to at least give it a shot. Cause it's worth it. There's no question in my mind that is an upper tier wedge at this point. Do you think, and, and I'm asking this to you, and maybe it's something that needs to be asked to the greater golfing public, whoever that might be. Think about the Japanese brands that are larger in America or in North America. You have Mizuno, you have Srixon, and you have Bridgestone. And Bridgestone, yeah. obviously, on the ball side, not the equipment side. Do you think that there's a lost in translation something to those brands over here? Because they certainly make top-notch equipment, but they don't they're not reaching that that plateau in sales that that level in sales that most people would say like oh my god i gotta go out and try those so what's what's the story between a tailor-made and a titleist and a callaway you see it everywhere right and and it's hard to argue against that especially for golf balls i mean callaway and, and titleist are absolutely prevalent um when you when you look to the tours when you look in golf bags and you look in pro shops, I want to know how much of that impacts number one, the person who's playing it on tour. I, I used to think that didn't matter at all, but you know, Bridgestone brings on the, the arguably the greatest golfer of all time sells a bunch of golf balls, balls for him. They bring on the guy who takes testing as serious as anyone ever has um the mad scientist himself which obviously didn't pan out i imagine the way they intended but 
is it the person or is it the quantity or is it the marketing like what is it that stops people because bridgestone has made a spectacular ball for a long time i'm 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 owning that as a personal perspective i think their premium golf ball is rivals anything and yet somehow i feel like i'm in in some cases the only one talking about it that's a that's an interesting question and i don't i don't know if there's an answer i you know i think uh People, golf balls in general, people don't talk about a lot, which is kind of weird. Other I, than I what saw they you mention that. Yeah, you was either on you the know, forum or on your podcast. You you mentioned that people just, they don't feel necessary to speak about it for whatever reason. But uh, I speak about the ball I'm playing to anyone who's willing to listen. It's like, use your brain. Pick a golf ball that makes sense for your game. And doesn't then even need to be this it. one. Yeah. And regardless <laughs> of your brand model or anything else, pick a ball and stick with it. You will be shocked at how different they are. Did you know that um, uh, I've had multiple people message me? I posted a picture. I was fortunate enough to be a part of the Goat Cup with Callaway last year. uh, And part of the victory was they sent uh, a whole bunch of dozen Chrome style for me. So I said, this looks like the ball for 2023. You can't can't mess with quality and you can't mess with that quantity. (laughs) And, And I've had multiple people message me like, are you really doing that? Are you really jumping off Tour BRX? I'm like... How how could I not? It's a great ball. Yeah. It's available currently to me. <laughs> Why would I not take a chance? Um, yeah, you've done uh, pretty well with the with the Chrome Soft as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that it's funny, man. It, the way that people react to their favorite brands, but also um, those brands and the success they have in the U.S. is a very very interesting thing. You make a good. Let point me there. ask you a question that I probably shouldn't ask as a Bridgestone yeah, fan, it. and you know I I am as well. Yeah. So Bridgestone, I did a brand story on Bridgestone Golf a while back. And in doing that, you know, you learn a couple of things first that, my goodness, they haven't been around as much as as long as you'd think. But they were at the forefront at low compression premium golf balls. You know, a urethane ball, low compression, less spin, might be a little less speed. But because of that less spin and the launch pattern, you can get more distance, feels great, might help an older player who's getting... Uh, or somebody who has a moderate swing speed, which moderate means slow. Let's get that out of the way. Um, now, Callaway was probably next on that list when they brought Chrome Soft. Yeah. And it was the ball that changed the ball, the, the messaging behind it. And there were some, I'll call it social media feuds going on of people at Bridgestone and people at Callaway kind of snarky to each other, you know. And uh, listen, it was all in good fun. I think generally speaking um, the people in golf are all good people and, and they, they mean they, it's okay to have a rivalry. And I think that's important, but let's say that Bridgestone was right. And Callaway did take their idea and run with it. And I'm, I'm, I have no opinion on that part of it. Okay. They Callaway took that and then went and started selling balls like crazy with the launch of Chrome soft. So what is the reason that Bridgestone hasn't had that same success? Yeah, well, that was a really all, well-ended question, by the well, way. First of all, Callaway was the marketing super gauntlet, right? For <laughs> years, they were all over social. They were all over TV. They were all over everything, right? So you can't ignore that. But I, I always thought the way they went about it was really interesting. It's like when you talk about Bridgestone and you talk about people raising prices, you kind of have to, because the argument is, well, I'm not going to lower my price because then it seems that my ball is inferior uh, just based on the price. So 
how Callaway came in and said, oh, we created a golf ball that's unlike any other ball. It's the ball that's changing the ball, which I'm not sure I totally agree with it. But for golfers willing to actually try it, it would change their ball for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did it in the smartest way I think possible is they came out at, at a price that was unbelievably good. Um, and then they even did deals on top of that, you know, buy two, get one. So now you've got three dozen of these balls in uh, Pro V1X players' uh, bag full of tricks. And they're like, wait, my ball's easier to control on the wind. My ball's easier to control off the driver. I'm not losing distance. So now they go through three dozen of them. And it's like, why would I not play this? So then for the next year or two, they're playing Chrome Soft because it's great value um and equitable if not better in quality and then of course they do what you expect them to do they bring out the x which shoots another range of golfers they continue to experiment uh and and magically suddenly it's priced at the same thing that all the other premium balls are because they've proven their point right do you think that there was something to it when they came out with the ball that changed the ball and made no mention of any brand as if every other brand didn't exist and that this was your only choice. Like I thought that was really brilliant marketing and I'll take it a step further. I thought it was as good a golf ball marketing as I've seen and still have seen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've always thought that the, for lack of a better term, the pissing match that goes on out there between the brands, it's, it, I don't want to say it's not tasteful because, I mean, it, it happens in every type yeah. of everything that exists, right? But to me, it, you're lo- lowering your standards by attacking someone else. And if you can't celebrate what you are doing um, without demeaning or diminishing something else, then obviously your product is not what you want it to be. Otherwise, you'd just be celebrating that. But let me let me circle back on that a little bit more and ask you in return. There was a ball shortage for a long time, and I'm not sure how many companies were weak on inventory. Where was Bridgestone and all that? Were they full? Were they were they in good shape, or were they selling? They were they quickly? were at full capacity, and that's an yeah. interesting point you mentioned. Is because while people have me- messaged us, oh, Bridgestone's not selling as much as they used to with these other brands selling more. Well, yes and no. Um, Bridgestone's still moving more golf balls than they ever have in their history. Yeah. They're just at capacity and there's only so much you can do. And, you know, I, I spoke to Bridgestone about this very thing. So that, you know, I, I don't think that is a, as an issue. And with, with Dan Murphy coming back on board and, and releasing the new, you know, tour B line last year um, that I, I expect to see the, their, their growth, come back a little bit mm-hmm. um but it is interesting because i also i can make an argument that before chrome soft and the ball that changed the ball which is what i thought one of my favorite marketing campaigns in golf since i've been doing this i actually thought going back before that when bridgestone launched ball fitting that at the time that was the best golf ball oh, marketing yeah. i'd ever oh, seen yeah. come and try days. it hit yeah. ours hit theirs whatever ball you want and let's show you what's better like i yeah. thought that was absolutely genius and i hope at some level they get back to that Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one other thought I had on it and it relates to Chrome soft because Callaway had golf balls prior to that. And they were okay. Um, they weren't revolutionary in my perspective, but um, they were a decent ball. What I found fascinating was, and, and this relates to another 
thing that uh, occurred was no one seemed to be comparing Chromesoft to a lot of the other major brands when it came out saying, well, it doesn't do this, which that player used to do. Like everyone of those staffers, I'm I'm assuming at, at one point the staff had Chromesoft X labeled as Chromesoft. I'm sure that was a thing for a while, but uh, that, that doesn't matter. I'll never forget uh, Fowler. Ricky Fowler goes from a titleist ball to a tailor-made ball. Yeah, the and picks the, ball he uses. Well, not, not quite there, but yeah, it's TP5. And he goes to Waste Management Open, gets a little bit wet on the golf course. And I think on that, uh, was it the 17th hole? Um, he hits his shot, which looked perfect. It skids off the ground because it was wet and rolls off the back of the green. And of course, everyone goes straight to social media and says, if that was a Pro V1 or Pro V1X, that would have never happened. And I, mean, and I always they're found not that, wrong, but well, but I always found that really interesting that Callaway was able to bring up Chrome Soft and not have to compare it to everything else. Uh, at least it didn't get that thing. It was like, yeah. let's compare this to Callaway, not to others early on. And, and they certainly yeah. never, it never seemed to me like they had to compare themselves to Bridgestone, who was their main competitor in that space, right? So, how it's so difficult for others to make that comparison, especially. But I also find that super weird, Josh, because Tiger goes to Bridgestone and he doesn't get that comparison. Maybe it's because it was better. Maybe it's because it wasn't diminishing. So they didn't compare it like negatively towards it. But it was never like, oh, Tiger switched to this ball. So this is happening. Yeah, that's an interesting thought process. And, you know, I'll go a step further with that and say, you're right. When Callaway launched Chrome Soft, it really wasn't compared to the Bridgestone RX or anything else. And I would say a little bit Titleist with the AVX, their low compression offering, is never compared to anything like that either. Yeah. And I think it comes down to the way some of these are marketed. I don't think most people realize that the AVX is soft. You know, like it, it's not their mark. It's not their big message, the, the soft feel, low spin, things like that, because they've gone with a, you know, compression's not really as big a story. Um, and to be fair, right now, compression isn't the real story because there's ways around that now, as we've seen with balls like L- Chromesoft XLS. And then Bridgestone RX and RXS and X and XS have also had that divide of 105 for your swing speed. Where do you fall? That's the ball you should play. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, you see that you do see less comparisons overall now. I don't think too many people are picking up a Chrome Soft X and then saying, wow, I got more spin than my fill in the blank. And yeah. I, I wonder why that is. So let me ask you a question on that then. If Titleist had have come out with AVX and instead of calling it AVX, they called it Pro V1M or A? It wouldn't be think... Pro VD. Well, okay, F- fine, relax, <laughs> you know. But my point is like the whole separation of were people would people look at it differently was the the decision to go with avx i always found that really interesting because it's a premium ball not in their premium ball lineup kind of thing you know like it, it yeah. doesn't even intended to measure against their other two premium balls i never liked that personally i thought it should be an extension of and you're seeing that now with left dot which i would love to try i <laughs> can't find those anywhere and um the left dash or uh the dash left dash left dash you know those those are becoming extensions of the line but more on the limited scale so why is avx treated so separately is it because the way titleist marketed for so long 
you know, that it's a better question for them. And it's something I've asked yeah. in the past. And I, and I think there's some merit to that, that Pro V1 and Pro VX, Pro V1X are these hero products. And then everything kind of falls back from there. Mm-hmm. Um, AVX would fit in that line well. Now it releases every other year, you know, with them. And now they have Tor Speed too, which is also a urethane ball, but a different material. Um, it, it is a little more <laughs> confusing on their end compared to Bridgestone with their four Tor B models or Callaway with their three Chrome Soft models, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Srixon has something similar as well, where they have the Z-Star, Z-Star XB and Z-Star, you know, the diamond model. And then they also have Q-Star Tour, which is another urethane covered golf ball, three piece, little lower compression that's kind of moved, is set, you know, away from those. So I, I don't know. And it priced very differently. So yeah, that's the big thing. And you have Titleist who's got this uh, urethane ball. that's not priced the same as Pro V1, but so does Srixon. But then Titleist also has a lower compression ball that is a premium ball. So now it's like, okay, I know that um, Srixon's lineup has these three offerings at the premium level. None of them are really that particularly low spin, particularly low compression ball. So what's their next move? Do they start saying, okay, Chromesoft, I see you. Uh, and and we're not getting quite the traction we want off this cheaper lower compression ball. Do they make a move? Well, you know, here's something that the the internet world is not going to want to listen to or enjoy or believe or anything else. Compression as a number means nothing. And let me quantify that by saying there are websites out there and stuff like that that measure compression, yet they don't do it in any way that a company uses. In fact, they're doing it manually, which is frankly absurd. Um, Every company, or I should say most companies, measure compression differently. So you have that number to think about as well. And what was forever a pretty easy formula to make bro science in your head, for lack of a better phrase, (laughs) of low compression equals less spin, softer feel, and a little less speed, you know, versus high compression is firmer feeling faster and more spin. Well, that's out the door now. Look at look at balls like Chrome Soft XLS and Torby uh, X rather than XS. X is the firmer ball, but spins less. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that as golf ball companies have gotten so high tech and been able to figure it out, the compression number is really more of a feel thing than anything else because they can beat the performance in so many different ways. Wow. Yeah. I think all we need to do now is talk uh, torque numbers and then we may as well just yeah. wrap it up. <laughs> one that's, that's measured differently by every single shaft company. Yeah. Uh, I, I really wanted to talk about the Kirkland irons from, from Costco. I know we're a little bit longer than we usually do for an episode, but I think it's worth the discussion at least for five minutes or so. Um, there's been an interesting debate going on on THP right now about how this, these Kirkland irons have their own identity and how people are uh, say, Ooh, no stop. when they look at them and they, they clearly have created divide in the golfing public from perspective to uh, efficiency, to reason to put in the bag, to willingness to put in the bag, to being embarrassed to put in the bag, like willing to put iron covers over top of them because they're in the bag, blah, 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 blah. So <clears throat> I'd like to get, your early on thoughts on and on what it looks like they're not just creating a blade they're creating what appears to be a hollow body iron based on what we've seen uh which suits an awful lot of golfers a lot more than a blade would Uh, and as you mentioned they are they do have 
a strong designer um, creating them for him, which is a very positive thing. So, so where are you on all that? Um, you know, I, I think what I said earlier, probably burned some bridges there. Um, I, I stand by that. I mean, there's more design in the Kirkland irons, at least on paper, you know, based on who I know their designer is and things like that, than a number of these direct to consumer brands. Um, I think that golf is in an interesting segment right now. And we went from <laughs> a person picking up golf with a box set, let's say for $300. And then they would piece together their next set going back five or six years with a $300 driver, $699 for a set of irons, three wedges and this and that, and be all in for twelve dollars or $1,500. It was very possible and doable. And due to a number of factors, including R&D, all the way down to, you know, getting the clubs back over here, assembled costs, material costs and everything else. That's not really possible without going several generations back. So that person who bought that box set at 349, they decide, you know, I really like this golf thing. Let's say they bought it back in uh, 2020. I really like this golf thing. I'm going to stick through it and I want a new bag. Here's your bill. It's 3,500 bucks at a minimum. <laughs> so I think that this could be a gateway to something larger you know that next set of irons i don't think there's any person outside of uh i want to play kirkland because it's quote unquote just as good um kind of the same person who plays the malt or things like that they it, there's an identity there that they feel is like saying you're wasting money i'm playing something just as good there there'll be a few kirkland players like that but overall the lack of options you know you're talking about shaft options lie angle things like that that just don't exist in this kind of set, nor can the ability to try them other than that guy who's going to buy a set and return it in three days. Um, you mean Costco's three return years. policy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is what it is. Yeah. But I think that overall it's, it's in a good place. And I think that by releasing segments, wedges, putter irons, despite the fact that they could put them all into a box set, it doesn't have that box set feel, mm -hmm. you know, and a little diminished return there in perception. So I'm for this happening from a cost perspective to keep golfers playing that want to get into the equipment game. I'm not sure I'm for it being from a Costco, despite my fact, the fact that I enjoy Costco. I think that that's where it becomes an issue with somebody is buying strictly because it says Kirkland rather than the actual performance of something or whether or not it fits them. And that's where I struggle with it a little bit. You, what I find interesting about this debate is I look back at when PXG first came out and it was received exactly how Parsons probably expected it to be uh, for a number of different reasons. And and Kirkland is getting the same amount of dissatisfaction, I guess you could say, for different reasons. Uh, what I find really interesting is how personal people take it when someone says, I have no interest in playing a golf club that shares the same name as the coffee I drink in the morning. Right. That's people's perspective. Why do you think it is that people take that so personally? And, and, I'll, and I'll circle this back to something else. There are plenty of brands out there that I'd probably rather not have in my bag. Um, personal perspective. Every yeah. guy you go and hang out with on a golf course is likely going to say, I'd never put that brand in my bag to a random brand. It could be Callaway. It could be Titleist. It could be Ping. It could be uh, New Level. It could be one of any brand of any relevance, they're just going to say, I don't want that in my bag. Why? Who cares why? <laughs> yeah. 
you know? Well, and, and that should be the reason is who yeah. cares? You know, everybody, you find this way. This all started to me years ago with uh, when HD DVD versus Blu-ray was a battle and then Android <laughs> versus iPhone and Xbox versus PlayStation. I'm a little older than all those segments, but I feel like brand loyalty and awareness has been around for as long as the te- longest test of time. And there is something to be said. I mean, <laughs> Kirkland's irons, according to the USGA photo, were designed by Indie Golf. And Indie Golf is made up of people who actually have designed golf clubs for some of the biggest names in golf. With that said, we're talking about a few people designing golf clubs compared to an R&D team at some of these companies that's dozens and dozens deep. And I say that same thing about, you know, fill in the blank, smaller companies, even PXG, they don't have a ton of engineers. There's a few Um, new level golf has zero engineers, you know? Um, And and that's not a knock on the performance of the brand. That's just my idea of there are reasons that someone can convince themselves in their heads for or against any of those things. Just like their idea of Costco won't sell shit, excuse for lack of a better term, because I like their vodka and their ketchup means their golf clubs are going to be great also. That's a different <laughs> kind of thought process, is it not? Yeah. Well, it's my, my focus is more on the brand disloyalty than the brand loyalty. Uh, but when it comes to this, I, I, I think the reason why Kirkland got such a like hell no vibe to it was their original release of golf balls were what I what I understand was extra stock that they had purchased a collection of and sold were actually quite a good golf ball. But then yeah, in fact if people knew what golf ball that was, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, but then their following releases were totally different golf balls with similar characteristics uh, and even in some cases different characteristics, but people were still treating them as though they were the original run. And my thought was, if you want, you find a casing out there, you have no idea what the performance of that ball will be like because they, you don't know what, when it came from, where it came from, how it came from. Um, Let me add to that real fast before you go on. Yeah. Think about this from a direct-to-consumer golf ball perspective, okay? There's all these brands out there. And you just had Seed Golf on, and I loved that interview because he talked about why he's not just a direct-to-consumer golf ball fly-by-night as people address it. Mm-hmm. You pick up a K-Sig on the golf course. You have no idea what golf ball it is. If I buy a cut, vice, snell, sugar, anybody else listed in there, and this is not a knock again on the performance, they don't have any idea what golf ball's in there either. <laughs> they don't have somebody at those factories mm-hmm. watching the ball come through, taking the technology to test the golf balls that Bridgestone, Titleist, Callaway, even TaylorMade now that they own their own factory – do Srick's on there they don't and again the ball could be perfectly fine and i'm not suggesting that the performance is off what i'm saying is the companies that are just buying a product that exists that's not you have no idea what ball yeah. you're getting because they don't have any idea what ball they're getting and, and to tack on to that it's not like we're saying or you're saying or i'm personally saying if you play a kirkland ball it, I'm not saying it's a bad golf ball. I'm right. just saying it's not better than everything else. Uh, I assure no. you of that. And to champion it like it's the perfect ball is absurd because you have no idea what that ball. Is. So, you know, there was that moment in time where everyone was like, K-Sig's better than everything else. It, and which it's is like, ridiculous. But to me, it was like, that's such a turnoff to the brand, not because of what the brand is doing, 
but because what these people are saying is so annoying. <laughs> well, and that was the best part because it goes back to what I just said. Ball to ball, Kirk or Costco had no idea what was in each ball, what was under the cover. Yeah. So there's no way a consumer knew. Right. Um, and, it's just and that it's that, that brand identity, man. And PXG had the same thing, even though it was different, right? Yeah. You have this isolated group of people absolutely ruining the experience for everyone else the difference here is you're getting a good deal versus a crazy price <laughs> so you know you're just dealing with the individuals participating in the brand more than the brand itself so when i look back at uh, kirkland i see these irons i'm like hey i think it's cool that they're bringing in especially when they bring in someone like Indy who's been a part of the industry i think that's neat that they're they're getting that product available to people for a great price even though we all know once golf kind of settles back into its realistic activity level there's going to be pricing that you find on secondary or even on the uh, second year market like uh, places like budget golf where you will be able to build the set for the exact same price from companies who you know exactly where this product's coming from so and that's an interesting option and i know we're going really long here but i'll add this to that Let's and I'm making up numbers here. Let's say that iron set costs four hundred and fifty dollars. I'm making it up. It could be seven hundred, could be three hundred. Let's say five hundred. Five hundred is fair. Would I buy that in a box from Kirkland over a year older Cobra? Fill you know, we'll say right now LTDX, knowing that the next line is coming, or Rad Speed, or something like that. In that general scheme of things, knowing I can get it fit have a shaft option, choose my grips, choose my flex, choose everything else. And if you're, the answer is yes, it means you want to, you really just want to play Kirkland irons and there's nothing wrong with that because that's a crazy thought process. So I just saw a new direct to consumer brand show up and their huge marketing argument was we're cutting out the middleman. We're cutting out things. Uh, I guess there's like this online fitting quiz so you're cutting out the fitting costs. Yeah, okay. Well, we can say name. So I said, that's really interesting. I want to see pricing. And it came out, well, if you buy now, this like pre-order pricing is saving 30%. So I find out that the, the driver's effectively like $370 to your door. And I'm assuming tax not considered. I don't know if shipping is a thing or not. So then I did what I always do when someone comes to me and says, hey, Dan, I really want to get a new X, a driver, let's say. I went to budget and and tried to find a product that was as new as possible in a style that I would willingly say, you know, this might improve your golf game. Uh, I came up with at minimum of two driver heads that were in and around that 350 to two uh, 300 to $350 range. One of them was uh, the Cobra Rad Speed. Uh, and, and this isn't even including some of the sales that have gone on. We just wrapped up ridiculous Black Friday deals from them. So the idea that you're selling this argument of saving people money when all they have to do is type in uh, on sale driver, and I'm sure they'll come up with sites like budget or sites like even Cobra selling it on their site for $300. To me that you're, you're eliminating quality with marketing. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, yeah, but saying you're know. cutting out the marketing. Yeah. That like I I've said that about a lot of these direct to consumer brands. And again, not a knock on the quality of the equipment, but if you're selling strictly based on price, but you don't renew with new, new models every single year, 
then I can just go, I can compare your irons to one three years ago from TaylorMade Callaway, Titleist, Cobra, Srixon, or yeah. anything else. And theirs is going to be cheaper. And it doesn't even have, have to be. You really want to play new level irons, for lack of a better you know thing as an example, because I, they don't come out with models every single year to replace it. So you're basically looking at older inventory anyway. Yeah, I think the driver discussion is a more interesting one because there's a lot more you can do with a driver of that segment. And new level is an interesting argument, but a lot of the products they sell are that sort of MB, CB profile where there's only so much weight management you can do. Um, whereas driver, like it's so blatantly obvious how much tech goes into it, right? You can see it. Uh, prices change based on the amount of movable weights and uh, adjustable hosels, things like that. But I just, I think the biggest problem I have is it's just disingenuous to say we're saving you money when a, a simple Google search is going to prove that instantly incorrect. And that is with the, uh, without the 30% discount, I'll be fair. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you and it's not going to stop because places like Alibaba exist where somebody can go on and buy a thousand driver heads and for whatever they want and make them is I, Christ, I'd love to see the check lofts on all these. They could take that a step further too, but that's either here nor there. Um, you want to start a putter company? We could very quickly. <laughs> yeah, it sounds interesting. But you I know what? I have a better idea. Make, make putters. THP range finders. We can do this. I, I've I've said we could. And in fact, <laughs> I could order a thousand range finders right now that would be decent quality for a very low price. Because I feel like every college fraternity brother has done that now. Okay. But you need people checking the inventory and checking the quality. And I wish more places did that. Yeah. Well, I, I love their options. I think it's great. Me My too. biggest issue is please, please accept and understand where your product is coming from before you start going like full on Homer Simpson on it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Josh, uh, we've, we've gone way long. I'm going to give you a chance to ask me any questions. I suspect you're not going to give me anything worthwhile. So let's just call it done, done, done. Yeah. Oh, I can live with that. No. You have any questions for me today? I do. I have okay. a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. Give me one. I'm going to ask just one, though. Give me one New Year's resolution that's not golf-related. Uh, physical wellness. What does that mean? Yeah. So, you know how everyone I says... I mean, are like, you talking like lose weight, drink less, sleep more? Like, what... What? Are you... Define drink less. Like, drink less water, well, more alcohol, or... I think you know where I was going, but no, I mean like <laughs> everybody's got their own idea of personal wellness. Yeah. So I, I think the idea of that is I hate every year that understanding that, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym five days a week for the entire year. Well, first of all, no one's doing that unless you're actually into it and you're weird. <laughs> so my, my hope is that if I choose something that's sensible, like physical wellness, so, you know, Hey, if I'm just hanging out of the house today, how about like, 100 push-ups guaranteed before whatever time of the day. Find a threshold that actually works for me that I'm actually going to do. And my perspective is that's better than nothing. And then we'll see if we can, you know, make that increase or, you know, jump on the treadmill. I have a, a rower here. I know you had a rower at one point. <laughs> you probably yeah, use it I think it, it works really as well as a clothes hanger. Yeah. <laughs> the, the idea is I'm, I'm setting a goal that's realistic uh, in that I know myself. And, and hopefully I can actually uh, gain traction instead of just like giving up entirely. <laughs> so, I get it. We'll see. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing how this show goes. And I'm going to surprise the audience now with one little take. 
Okay. Um, as you guys know, that the Worst Golf Podcast is available audio, like you're listening to this, as well as video each week. Uh, off course coming up soon is also going to be done via video if you prefer that. And we're going to kick it off in, uh, I don't know how, how many weeks, maybe four to six weeks video version of it. And uh, with a pretty big contest coming up. Nice. I didn't know about this. Well, I, I knew the idea that we were heading to video. The whole contest thing is, is news to me. So that's great. Can I win it? Yes. Okay, sweet. No. <laughs> well, uh, I, I've said it every week. I don't know why anyone wants to listen to me talk. So I can't imagine what it's like watching me talk. But uh, I'm really excited about that. We are in episode 138 right now. So bigger and better things as we cruise into 150. Uh, And as Josh has mentioned a number of times, you can catch him and Morgan on the Worst Golf Podcast almost every week, probably every ish week for 2023. Um, And yeah, get on the forum, talk uh, product with us. It's going to be a crazy couple weeks, I imagine. And go out there and play some golf if you can. I know I can't. Josh, good luck on your lessons, buddy. I can't wait to see what comes of it. Me too. (laughs) All right, my friends. We'll catch you next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network. Your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.